Hello, and welcome to Thriving with Tech, the tech wellness podcast. It's news, information, and analysis designed to bring balance to your relationship with technology. Now, here's your host, August Bryce. Hi, I'm August Bryce. Today, I'm excited, very excited to have on the show the woman who literally invented the whole concept of internet addiction, Dr. Kimberly Young. Hi, Dr. Young. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well today. Thank you. Great. You are such a visionary. Listen to this. Dr. Young's bio is on our site at techwellness.com, but the short version is that she's been studying internet addiction since the 90s. In 1995, she founded the Center for Internet Addiction. Dr. Young has also authored numerous books, starting with Caught in the Net, and that was the first book to identify internet addiction. She's been on every major news program from Fox to CNN. She's been on Good Morning America, World News Tonight, the list goes on and on. And she created the most widely recognized test, actually the gold standard, for internet addiction. So Dr. Young, I have to ask you, what was there to be addicted to on the internet in the 90s? Well, you know, it's always a good question, because, and it's an exciting time for me. You know, my background was actually in neuropsychology, and that was in the late 80s, early 90s. And around the early 90s, we started hearing more media reports about the information superhighway was coming. Well, my background was also um, in computers, and so when I looked at the computers and the psychology of it, my gut reaction was to say that something was addictive about it, but it wasn't until a friend of mine's husband was addicted to AOL chat rooms. He was spending 40, 50, 60 hours a week at a time when it was still $2.95 an hour. Not only did this create a financial burden, but their marriage eventually ended in divorce because he was meeting women in online chat rooms. Wow. It made me wonder if people could get addicted then in the same way we talked about drugs, alcohol, and sex. So I posted a small survey online taking the same clinical criteria for compulsive gambling, substituted the word internet, and I wanted to see what I would find. Well, the very next morning, I had something like 50-some email at a time when I probably only had two email a month. Again, we're talking about early 1990s. It was still forming. We were still trying to figure out e-commerce. We were still trying to figure out so many things and how to utilize the World Wide Web. And so I expanded my survey because I saw it hit a psychological nerve. I mean, people were telling me how they got divorced how they lost their jobs because of the Internet, students across the country having problems with the very tool that they were being encouraged to use. And really then my my first study culminated in a paper at the uh, 1996 American Psychological Association. And you know, because it was the first and it was identifying Internet addiction as a new disorder, it had a lot of controversy, a lot of media attention. Um, a few years later, my first book came out. Again, a lot of controversy, a lot of media attention on Cotton and Net, because these were very new topics. I think over the, the later part of the 90s, early 2000s, more researchers started replicating this work, figuring out that there was a problem, especially in um, cultures, in Asian cultures, in China, Taiwan, Korea. They were, they were really pumping out a lot of the newer research at that point. So way back when you first found your friend's husband, your friend brought her husband to you and, and wanted you to study him. When you sent out the research, you found it wasn't just your friend's husband. It was just everywhere. Right. That, that was just the catalyst for my first idea, if you will. Every, every new research project has to have some kind of catalyst, I think. And that was mine. And then, but there were many, many others. Yeah, so the whole the whole thing is picking up so much steam now, but still I think people really want to know what exactly is internet addiction. Well, 
like any other addiction. I mean, it's not, you can't just count the number of hours. Like people would say, well, how much time is too much time? And it's not like, well, 10 hours a week is okay, but not 11 or more. I mean, it's like counting drinks for an alcoholic. Oh, 10 drinks a week is okay, but 11 is not. I mean, it's not, it's more about a set of behaviors. So what we have to look at are things like compulsive use, the inability to control use, the idea that somebody becomes irritable or upset or depressed without technology, that they use it as a form of escape, that they go through withdrawal. So now we're talking about things that are much more like any other addiction. You know, it's become a problem. There's a consequence to the behavior and an inability to control it. That's internet addiction. And it's the same as smartphone addiction, device addiction, uh, you know, online addiction. It's all the same thing, correct? Yes. I mean, the terminology is not as relevant as the behavior. I mean, it all means the same thing. I've heard technology addiction, internet addiction, computer addiction. I mean, you know, I think we're all trying to talk about the same thing. Do you have any idea how many people are afflicted? Is there a percentage that you've been able to identify of the entire population? You know, unfortunately, no. Um, You know, there really hasn't been any new studies. I know that the Stanford University years ago had done a study that estimated one in eight Americans suffered from some form of internet addiction, but there really hasn't been any national studies like they have been in other countries. Okay. You know, I, I know that there's a line when you know for sure someone is addicted, but are there clear warning signs that you've been able to identify that maybe somebody's on the edge between obsession and addiction? Yes, it goes back to the same clinical criteria that, that I, I mentioned earlier. It was just more of a focus on, um, you know, compulsive use, consequences for the behavior. You know, uh, I mean, has the person lost their job? Has the person, you know, gotten warnings for losing their job? You know, has a person experienced maybe a separation, not yet a divorce, but their wife or husband is upset because of the time they spend on online? You know, so, you know, I think there's... There's, there's warning signs that there are with alcoholism or drug dependence as well. But, okay, so what's the most drastic example you've seen of screen addiction? Uh, I really, I can't say one thing. I think the one thing that stands out, and this is back in the early 90s, that was just sort of um, sent chills to me, and I'm trying to remember the, the, the location of it, but I want to say that basically... You know, this young boy was um, very addicted to his computer technology. His parents were divorced. His dad got on the computer but didn't live at home. Mom one day just got fed up with his dependency, took it away, and the next day she was found dead. He shot her. He he was a gun in the house. He knew where the gun was, and he shot his mother because he took the computer away. Wow. And I remember chills when I heard that because it was the police that were calling me trying to get some insight on this young man. But now just as uh, recent as last week, you know, there's a, a murder trial in California that uh, I'll be you know, testifying and working with because it had to do with murder. And it was kind of a parallel situation where uh, this video gamer, the mother was trying to stop him from gaming and by accident broke the you know, the, the shield and the, the gaming equipment on his head face. Uh-huh. So he couldn't play. There was apparently a loaded shotgun in the house and he killed her. And <sighs> so, you know, I think those are probably extremes, but they're real. They were real then. And this case, like I said, is very recent. It's real now. Wow. I'm, that just takes my breath away. That's incredible 
incredible. And I, I, I know I can, I can envision something like that happen, but you know, so many people kind of tease about internet addiction. You know, you see somebody on their phone a lot. Oh, you're addicted. I mean, even people who write articles, uh, about people calling them addicted say, Hey, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking at the news. I'm checking my stocks. I'm texting. I'm, I'm searching for things. How can you say I'm addicted? Why don't we take this disorder seriously? Well, I think one, Americans tend to be more cautious than other cultures. I mean, it, it is an accepted disorder in many cultures. Um, you know, China, Korea, Taiwan, uh, for example, they have mandatory treatment, they have uh, public service announcements and education and prevention programs. America is really lagging behind on this particular issue. For example, um, a few years ago, I, I spoke at the first International Congress on Internet Addiction Disorders, and that was in Milan, Italy. I mean, there must have been like 15 translators there just so we could talk to each other. I mean, literally, it was a world congress all expressing what we're seeing in our respective countries and really, the, the main point became America wasn't acknowledging this quick enough or fast enough. Um, this month, I'm going to... Um, Why, though? Why aren't we? Why aren't we? Well, we're conservatives. I mean, we, we also don't have a, a mandatory um, health care system. Mm -hmm. For example, China. It's so it all ties in. For example, we don't have a government-based health care system that does this. So it's really from the ground up. It's a grassroots efforts to get any disorder, I think, acknowledged. And, and certainly we still are trying to figure out alcoholism or drug dependence in our country and how to treat that. So Internet addiction becomes less important. You also have lobbyists that certainly don't want to hear that Internet addiction is a, a real problem because it obviously cuts into sales. But much like Philip Morris and the nicotine industry, I mean, it, we, we went for years knowing in the research that nicotine was addictive. Yet we glamorized it. We had Joe Camel catering to teenagers. You know, lots of movie stars smoking all the time, but it wasn't until a class action lawsuit came about that really we started changing our, our norms and our values about smoking. You know, same thing with alcoholism. There was lots of research that cited alcoholism as a real problem, but it really wasn't until Betty Ford got up and said, I'm an alcoholic. That was the tipping point. Right. If you all, because she was so respected and then it became real. We had a face to it. So I think we're still waiting for that tipping point in America. And, and certainly you have a lot of political, you know, reasons why it doesn't get as acknowledged as maybe other addictions. But when you look at the history of other addictions, it took them a long time too to get acknowledged. Well, we're still rolling with tobacco. Uh, I just saw the PSAs that the tobacco companies uh, are paying for saying that, you know, they, they actually design cigarettes to be addicted. And this is obviously a warning to youth. So we're still trying to break through. And I want to know right now, how can we prevent internet addiction? Well, one of the things that, that I was intrigued by, especially when I was at this World Congress, was um, what Korea is doing. They've probably been the leader out of any country that I've seen on how they're trying to deal with this. And they do a great deal of prevention at young ages, like, you know, right when kindergarten, first grade, second grade, uh, with kids directly in school systems. And I found that to be very um, um, proactive about it. Like if you can educate kids to find a, a balance, a healthy use, kind of like food addiction, you know, you can choose, you know, I talk a great deal about digital diet, digital nutrition. I compare it to treating food, because oftentimes that's, um, you know, we're looking at moderated and healthy 
use of technology. So if you go back to that premise and you teach young children, look, technology is good. You know, nobody's saying it's bad. It's very useful and productive. But you know what? You don't want to play games. You don't want to look at porn. You, you don't want to just make your whole life sedentary around computers. You want to actually be also active in physical education, eating well, you know, exercising. And so that's a lot of what I think we could be applying here in America as well. Well, sure. That's what I talk about at Tech Wellness, just balance with our technology. And that's, I love the diet. It makes perfect sense. But how really can we, how really can we incorporate that? Because it's, like I said, the, the smartphones, the Oreo cookie of technology, it's just so delicious and fun. And it's designed even, even I think more than sugar to suck us in and make us feel good. So really, how do we deal, deal with that? I, I've heard, you know, make it a gray screen, make it not as interesting. Okay. That's, that's one thing. But how with, with, well, you have a great program for, for kids, the three, six, nine, twelve, um, which I think is awesome. And I want you to talk about that for a minute. But now that we're faced with it and we've, we've already, you know, we, we've drank the Kool-Aid. Um, how can we taper back and do so happily? Well, for any one of us, we need to recognize our own behavior. You know, when you're talking about like just smartphones, I don't really consider that as much of an addiction um, as just chronic checking. It's more of a compulsive sort of behavior where we chronically look at our phones. We need our phones around us. Um, I did a TED talk a few years ago. One of the things that came out of that for me was why don't we all do a 48-hour digital detox where we plug our phone in, we don't look at it for 48 hours at least. And You're speaking to me. I love it. And, and just seeing how we feel with that. Just sit with that. Now, granted, if you're you know, a surgeon on call, you know, that might not be the time to do it. But most of us could really live without the technology for at least a few days and then experience it. You know, instead of going to look at your phone, you know, there's voids that we fill. You're sitting at the doctor's office, you check your phone. You, you know, we don't know how to be bored anymore. We don't know how to be in solitude without media all around us. So I say, take that time and observe. And then when you do pick up your phone, have very clear boundaries. Use it maybe an hour in the morning, put it, put it back. You know, maybe at five o'clock you check it again. Most of the time we are just mindlessly checking our phone. Oh, let's see what's a new post on Facebook or Instagram or whatever we're, we're looking at. It's not like we really need to be doing this, this kind of activity all the time. And if we're more aware of our behavior, it's sort of like the choices you make with eating. It comes right down to it. You can eat the healthy fruits and vegetables. You can eat a bag of donuts. You know, that's your choice. So you can have a good balanced use of technology. I'm not saying eliminate it. It's about moderated and controlled use versus binging on it and being more chronic with it. And, and that becomes more about self-awareness and, and self-restraint to some extent. I mean, for most of us, we don't suffer from a true addiction. I'm not talking about the video gamers that spend 12 to 18 hours a day gaming and sit there so long they get blood clots in their legs. I'm not talking about that then that's more treatable. That's more inpatient care, looking at other dynamics going on with the client, depression, social anxiety, those kind of things. But for your average user, I think it's just raising awareness and, and, and kind of making a habit out of not checking it. And so that helps us not cross the line and become quote unquote addicted. It does. I mean, to, to me, uh, you know, there's a motto that I've used in, in most of the talks I've given 
uh, we have to disconnect to reconnect. And so really when we disconnect from our devices, we get to talk to each other face to face. I mean, the greatest sin I see is the family sitting around the kitchen table at dinner time on their devices, uh. mom modeling that behavior. Kids are on their, their portables and everybody's not talking. I mean, the best thing I used to do as a kid was go out with my parents on a Sunday drive and we'd talk because there was mm-hmm. no distractions. And now, you know, everybody brings their devices in the car and nobody's really talking to each other anymore. So I think just getting back to basics, having tech-free time every night at home, very important kind of things to, to, to practice. There's so many health benefits of that. And I, I, uh, grew up the same way you did, you know, there were, there weren't devices. And so we did that with our children. We made sure that we had three dinners at home a week. That was very popular back then connecting the family. And of course there was never a device allowed at dinner and still in my home. That's, that's what we do. We drop them. We drop them when we come in and, uh, that's just, it just feels good for me, but I don't know how we can convince other families that that could actually bring them benefits. You know, I think like anything else, the more education, the more public service announcements we can promote, because right now it's still too new. There's more messages on um, using it in the technology of schools. You know, like when I, I've worked with a couple of state governments, and, you know, the problem they have is they give so many dollars for technology in the classroom, they don't really want to say it's addictive. Yet they're finding that that's what kids are doing is they're playing games and they're you know, downloading all kinds of things that have nothing to do with their homework or school. So it becomes a problematic issue for teachers. So we really need more of an educational component for parents, I think, to say, hey, look, this isn't just a benign tool. There's ramifications to it. It's useful, but to a point. We also have to practice all these other good habits. I consider it much harder to be a parent today because, like you said, we didn't have the devices when we were kids. There was nothing like this. And so now you're competing as a parent against all these these devices. But the research, uh, uh, disturbingly so, is showing how children, at, like infants now, have access to technology, and it's creating social problems. They're more isolated. They're not playing like in teams and groups. They don't know how to learn how to do face-to-face conversations. Mm-hmm. Or they're obese because they're sedentary in front of computers and not exercising. I mean, we're just starting to see some very significant problems the younger, you know, children start on technology. Well, what you're saying is we're training them to become addicted. Well, we're encouraging it. Yes. And then how do we know when I I asked you this earlier and I'm not sure I, I was clear, but how do you know for sure when it's crossed the line and how do you know when there's still hope to pull back? Well, again, like any addiction, how do you know? Well, until it gets bad. You know, how do you know somebody's a social drinker versus an alcoholic? How do you know? You don't until it gets bad enough, till the, the guy, you know, gets a DWI or, or has a car accident. Right. or It's significant. And that's usually the same thing with any other addiction. Until it's significant, there's consequences. There's clearly defined sets of behaviors that are habitual and maladaptive. Then it's addiction. That's how you know. And, you know, there's no big, you know, when somebody hits rock bottom, that hopefully they'll want to dig themselves out of that hole. But even then, I meet, I meet addicts every day, whether they're alcoholics or Internet addicts, that are living a great deep denial, mm-hmm. rationalizing their behavior, and they're, they don't want to give it up. You know, quite frankly, they like it. Right. You know, 
I mean, a lot of alcoholics that are saying, I like my, my, my alcohol. I'm not giving it up for you or my wife or anybody else. And so until somebody really wants to change, they can't. Right. You know, I had a friend who's a gambling addict and he put himself on the no casino list. And so his face is posted in security at all the casinos and he is not allowed in. And he actually went into a casino and they escorted him out. And that got me thinking, you know, it's almost as though we have to have these super critical, strong boundaries if we're on the edge and we realize that we are. And that's hard to do. Well, yes. I I think that's really the point. You know, until you're ready to to look at your own behavior and be self-aware about any of it. I mean, whether we're talking about food addictions, internet addiction, you know, how much do you drink? You know, I mean, I, I have a lot of doctor friends and they say, we, we always ask how much, how much alcohol do you consume in a week? And we always like double that, whatever the person says, <laughs> you know, on their medical exams, because everybody kind of tends to underestimate how many drinks they might consume in a day. So, you know, I think we all have to take accounting for our own behavior and, and whether it's the internet or, or alcohol, it's, it's no different. We just have to do that. It's not easy though. You're listening to Thriving with Tech, the tech wellness podcast with August Bryce. Today's show with Dr. Kimberly Young will continue. But first, did you know that tech wellness has a test to determine if you're tech addicted? It's Dr. Young's test from her Center for Internet Addiction. Just search tech wellness internet addiction test. It's free, it's easy, and your answers are never shared or saved. It's just for you. And no matter what your answers, Tech Wellness is full of solutions to help you have a more balanced relationship with the technology that surrounds us and supports us. And while you're on the site, don't forget Tech Wellness is donating 10% of the sales of our Real Life Over Likes tea to the Sit With Us app through July 16th. It's a great cause. And now, back to Thriving with Tech with August Bryce and her guest today, Dr. Kimberly Young from the Center for Internet Addiction. Before we go, I want to talk about your Restore Recovery Program because I feel like it's a toolkit that a family or a neighborhood could access and actually make sure that if somebody was on the edge, that they brought them back. Do you, do you see your Restore Recovery Toolkit that way? I do. I think um, a few years ago, I designed it because one, one of my roles is as an educator. I travel around the country. I do workshops at hospitals, addiction clinics, uh, community mental health centers, teaching how to assess and treat internet addiction. Now, right now, because it's still so new, unlike other disorders, there's no certification or standard of care in the, in the practitioner side of it. People can hang out a shingle and say, yeah, I'm an internet addiction expert, but they might not have any training or, or have done any research in the area, mm-hmm. which I think is a disservice. So I created Restore Recovery as the first empirically based training program. So it goes from the beginning, how do we assess a problem, what, what's the context, what's the problematic application, is it pornography, is it gaming, is it, is it shopping online, what, what is it, how is it accessed, then looking at, at other related factors, is the person also suffering from psychological uh, depression or anxiety, then it looks at actual treatment, Look, how do you change somebody's rationalizations, that, um, how do you attack those cognitive distortions that justify the behavior, how do you make observable changes of behavior? What are your goals? How do you prevent relapse, especially in the age of technology where it's, it's surrounded, you're, you're surrounded by it? So the program 
primarily is is really training for therapists, but it takes it at an introductory level, assuming the therapist doesn't have a lot of knowledge into the technology and the internet, but basically can build on, there's videos, there's three streaming videos that take you through the, these kind of steps. And RESTORE is actually an acronym for the steps, like R stands for something, E stands for something, and you go through this information mm-hmm. and treatment process. It can also be used as a self-help tool because we've seen how people have been able to buy it, use it as a family. It spurs conversation. Well, how, where do we access the technology? You know, if you have like three devices at home and a laptop and a desktop or something, I mean, one, how do you write, how do you harness that in? Have maybe one area of the home where you just only access your technology. Um, families get talking about how much time they're spending on the internet. I mean, it's a great ability to discuss it through the program because it is elementary enough that that really families or a, a therapist wanting to learn more about the process um, can can learn from it. It includes the assessment tools, handouts, pamphlets, all kinds of things to to really you can apply right right at the get go. So families or uh, counselors at schools. I mean, I, I think really what we're talking about is addiction prevention. Well, we are. And and again, and just some training in it, because right now there's nothing. You know, when we talk about standard of practice, I, I shouldn't be able to hang out a shingle and say I'm a gambling addiction expert if I'm not, if I haven't had any training in that. So right now, too many people are starting to say they know about internet addiction, but have no training. So I'm, you know, what, what I've been trying to work with, especially with say governing bodies, the American Psychological Association, because I'm a psychologist, but, you know, what is the standard of training here? What's the standard of care? But then that does trickle down to, we can also apply it to a self-help focus, if you will, where families and, and, and just spouses, partners, you know, anybody with the problem can really benefit from this. Oh, I'm so glad that you're doing this because I would imagine professionally, you're also working on a certification program, correct? For everyone else or somebody's working on that. Yes. yes. Good. That's, yeah, Good. yeah, but until it's you know legitimized in terms of insurance reimbursement, we don't you know can't push all that forward as quickly as we'd like to. Do you have a group of people that you can currently recommend? Uh, I don't, but you know I'm sure the American Psychological Association or whatever keeps keeps track of referrals. I mean that's just not my focus is referrals. And what about your Net Addiction Center? Uh, well, what we we do treatment, so people come to us and. Um, you know, we provide, you know, anything from individual counseling, uh, family counseling, marital counseling. We do some inpatient work depending on the, the, the situation and needs of the person. And when do you recommend inpatient care? At what point? Well, obviously, if the person's gotten, you know, to the point that they're not functioning at all in their day-to-day life. For example, most of the people that are hospitalized are video game addicts. Young men in their 20s, been kicked out of maybe two or three colleges, living at home in their parents' basement, can't hold a job, won't do anything except game for 12 hours a day. Critical. You know, and they're very critical at this point, and they suffer from social anxiety and many other problems. So so really, they need to be stabilized. They need to go through some detox. They need to go through, uh, I think, deeper evaluation, certainly, than, let's say, uh, on the other extreme, maybe a, a marital couple dad's been downloading pornography on the internet, mom wants to leave, they're trying to save their marriage, but they're coming in more on an outpatient basis to try and figure out what those dynamics are that drive that behavior. Okay. I love this because we're creating awareness for everyone. Uh, 
And of course, we have your test on our site. So uh, if you are curious and you're wondering, or if you are going to take it on behalf of someone else and put in their behavior, you can do that. Uh, we've got the little quiz on techwellness.com. We invite you to take it. And then we have some solutions. And of course, we point you to Dr. Young's books and of course, the Restore Recovery Program. I'm so excited about this. Thank you so much, Dr. Young. Oh, and before we go, uh, I'd like to ask everyone, so I'm going to ask you, do you have a guilty technology pleasure? You know, no, I, you know, I, I thought about that and I thought, well, not really. I, I feel like I'm in front of my computer writing and answering emails and, and, and dealing with my own students as a, as a college professor that I don't find I have any kind of guilty pleasure. I mean, no shopping. Uh, no, no. I, um, I would say probably I check my Facebook and I check, check Yelp. Like if I know we're traveling somewhere to a new city and I want to check out the restaurants and the menus and things, um, I would say that's the, the main thing and, and maps, you know, I'm always amazed as a kid, uh, you know, I had the triptych from AAA and, you know, we'd get in a new state and you'd flip over the thing and it, and it was all in like yes. bold highlighter. And now I'm amazed, like I just punch in my, my, into my phone and boom, it gets me where I need to go. So I probably use that the most. I'll take <laughs> it. It's good. It's actually great because it's so true. Maps are delicious, aren't they? Compared to what we went through when we were kids with those, those binders. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Young. Have a wonderful day and we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me, really. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Thriving with Tech with August Bryce from techwellness.com. You can find Thriving with Tech on the iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the program, please help us spread the word by subscribing, giving us a thumbs up, and sharing with your friends. Thanks and be well.